Forgiveness, it's really one of the only ways I think to overcome in this world. And the reason is because forgiveness is rooted in love. I've heard that love is the strongest force in the universe. I believe that that is true. Some things are easier to forgive than others, right? And, you know, we know that we forgive, I think, the really tough stuff through God's power. For the most part, forgiveness is supernatural. I think forgiveness, especially when it's been a deep betrayal, it doesn't happen without God's help. And God's love for us is not natural. It's it's what they call agape love. It's the kind of love that it's hard for us to fully grasp. And if you're listening to this, you you believe in forgiveness, right? Most likely you you want to forgive, but you may be struggling, like you're having a hard time doing it, or you're like, what is forgiveness? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about forgiveness, what it is, what it's not, right? It's not always reconciliation. It's not always, it can be, and hopefully that is what it is. But there are some things that it's not. We'll talk about reasons why we struggle to forgive, right? Maybe we feel like we have to enable the person or something like that. We'll talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, because you actually can forgive without necessarily having reconciliation. Why we are commanded to forgive, and then of course the destructive power in our lives of unforgiveness, like resentment, blame, and then how do we forgive? And I'm talking about this with a good friend of mine, Lori Lara. We were talking about this off air how do we forgive? Because we hear this so often in the world and in church. Have you forgiven them yet? And yet there isn't, there, there's not a lot of manuals on it, right? There's some books on it, but how do we do it? Lori, by the way, has become a great friend of mine. Part of it is because she's a third degree black belt. No. <laughs> we met in a dark alley. <laughs> <laughs> she saved my life. And it's so funny, Lori, because when- you tell that story, you know. We could. When you see Lori, you're so kind. You're super sweet. You know, like I wouldn't look at you and say, yep, she's a third degree black belt. Yeah, it's it's not something that I wear on a t-shirt or anything like that. And I definitely would say that I'm more of a peacemaker. I don't want to use the training that I have been trained in. Um, my goal is to bridge peace and be at peace with people. Just like that scripture in Romans, it says, if possible, so as it depends on you, be at peace with all mm-hmm. men. So that kind of guides how I feel about martial arts and using training is it's really, if I can't get away or if someone else can't get away, um, then you got to know how to protect yourself. But my whole goal is to never use what I have been trained to be able to do. And you created the Strong Girl Defense Program. And so you teach just it's it's not just self-defense as far as like fighting skills and stuff like that. One of the huge pieces of it is also I think there's a spiritual piece of self-defense, and but but there's a definitely a mental piece of uh, self-defense. Absolutely. I mean, I say you know the number one self-defense technique is knowing your worth, protecting. It's not just about delivering a great throat chop or knowing proper technique and fighting, which the you know the hitting and the kicking and the weapons and all of that I say is the fun stuff. But if you know, I teach mainly girls and women from Girl Scout troops to, you know, soccer teams. And then I also work with sex trafficking survivors and domestic violence survivors. But one of the common things that I have found in my own life through my own healing from trauma and uh, kind of a victim mentality is if we don't get our thinking straight, if we don't clear 
Um, mm-hmm. all, if we don't heal from things and we don't get our thinking straight about who we are and that we are valuable, eventually we're going to be someone's victim. So my program yeah. is a combination of the mental and emotional aspects of being strong and being protected. And then also the physical self-defense, because you can know that you're worth protecting, but if you come up against somebody who's an aggressive person who really is not going to be at peace with you and you need to be able to fight, you've got to be able to have those skills too. It's so good because they all work together, right? We're physical beings, we're mental beings, we're spiritual beings. And so when we think of most things, we, you know, even our spirituality, you know, we have to put all those sorts of things together. I know when we met, we were doing a Cultivate conference and I I walked up to you or you walked up to me and and, uh, there was just a connection there. Like we both knew like, oh my gosh, you're deep. And you're like, no, you're deep, you know? (laughs) And so we ended up connecting like every week and having these really great conversations and these prayer meetings. And I think at the time, I think I was speaking on codependency, which we'll definitely be talking about that more on this show too. And you were talking about just working through a really difficult, dark time in your life. And it was fantastic. You're actually the keynote speaker. Then we connected again at Bayside, which is out of Sacramento. I was doing shame and you were doing a a session on forgiveness, which was fantastic. Uh, As we were talking on the phone and stuff, we were like, let's start out and do a show on forgiveness. So one of the things that we're going to talk about today, like I just said, is what forgiveness is, what it isn't. Forgiveness means letting someone off the hook for doing something to us that we don't deserve. When forgiveness comes to my mind, I think of, first of all, acceptance, you know, and acceptance is the key to all my problems today. If I can't accept it, then I'm going to be stuck. Because I think with that, that when I don't forgive, I'm really trying to force this person to pay me back. Right. I'm saying, you know, uh, I think I think you owe me something. And there's such a power, at least for me personally, when I can wake up and say, nobody owes me anything or I don't have to blame anyone anymore. And so for me, that's kind of where it starts. And, and I don't know if it's like that for you. I love what you just said, because the acceptance is really kind of the foundation of even being able mm-hmm. to even step into true forgiveness is we ha- right. we we cannot be in denial. You know, I remember mm-hmm. reading The Road Less Traveled, Scott Peck talking about um, cheap forgiveness versus real forgiveness. And cheap forgiveness is saying things like, oh, well, they did the best they could. And, and that might be true, but it's also a way for denial to kick in where we don't mm-hmm. feel the full weight of what happened, whether it be in our right. families of origin or a close friend. Um, you know, I deal a lot with women. So dealing with betrayal that women have done to each other, the wounds that women mm-hmm. carry um, from each other is a big deal. But if we cannot as Scott Peck called, name the crimes. We have to name the crimes. And what you're saying about acceptance is absolutely paramount because if we can't name the crime and then we can't, then we can't process it. I kind of come at forgiveness from really the first gate of what do I do with this pain? And I did not have a lot of awareness in my life that I, you know, being raised in the church from being a young girl, the concept of forgiveness was talked about, you know, you hear about it, we sing songs about it, we know God has forgiven us, but even it, Don Henley sings about it, you know. Forgiveness. <laughs> right. Actually kind of like even that. if you don't love me anymore. By the way, there'll be a lot of singing in this show. 
uh, that's a it's a beautiful song. I'm just visualizing you breaking into mm-hmm. dance and showing a video of you <laughs> you doing that song. That's really funny. There are many more like well, I don't know if you, you probably don't know Gordon Lightfoot, but he's got an old song called Carefree Highway. But in it, he says, "Knowing I got no one left to blame," and it's such a beautiful line to me. Every time I can go, ah, you know what? I don't have to blame anymore. I don't have to. As you were saying, working through the pain, and I want to talk about that too. Reality is, this was bad, this hurts, and I didn't deserve it. And for me, this this step in my own healing was dealing with the pain. It wasn't modeled to me or taught, and really the generations before ours, we're very privileged in this generation. We're kind of the pioneers in mental health and being able yes. to say I'm hurt, being able to to say this doesn't feel good. And I don't know what to say about it other than I can't step immediately into, but you're forgiven, you know, because mm-hmm. that it's a really a process of, of dealing with the pain and being able to allow yourself to be angry. Well, that doesn't, that really wasn't modeled to a lot of us either. For me, I would mm-hmm. say I come to the practice of forgiveness in my life now through the door of pain. What do I do mm-hmm. with this pain? Uh, that has been caused. And that will lead me to honestly processing how I feel about what happened. And then through that, I can sort out what was my part? What was this other person's part? Was there misunderstanding? You know, I can't address what happened until I can deal with the pain. And there's something very destructive in not dealing with that pain. And we see this, especially as Christians, we want to be really quick to forgive. You know, a a good example that I always use, I'm just making it up, but let's say in the church, right, someone has a ministry. Someone comes in and, I don't know, takes over the ministry, kicks the other person out, yada, yada, right? This other person is, they're, they're crushed. And it, and it, a lot of times you hear things like, well, have you forgiven them yet? You know, you need to forgive them. And then, you know, but, but we're going to keep the ministry going because it really helps everybody, right? And so everyone's being blessed through the ministry, but the person that's been crushed is like laying on a fetal position in the floor trying to figure out how to forgive. So what's then happened is now it's like, you need to forgive. And the fact that you don't means that you're wrong and you're the bad one. So now you kind of had this double whammy. And the whole time, this was all done with good intentions, right? But look what the look what the result is. And we've all had that happen. I feel like as people and as Christians, we need to allow, like you said, that place to, to look at why did this happen? This didn't deserve to happen to me. And to be able to allow the person to process like you were saying. And in big and small things. You know, I didn't realize mm-hmm. how much I held on to injury as a way of practicing. It's just kind of something I established in childhood is I didn't talk about my pain. And that manifested in some really self-destruction. I had no idea what to do with my pain. And so I just kind of mm-hmm. shoved it and it just became this unconscious weight. And I find when I talk to women, this is very common you know, because you want to live a good life. You don't want to go around slaying people and mm-hmm. hurting people. I didn't want to take a revenge route. I wanted to kind of pretend it didn't happen because I didn't know what to do with right. it. And then really getting married, having kids, you know, the, then it just became this pressure cooker of, you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm not, 
you know, just the demands of motherhood mm-hmm. and trying to live this great life and all the blessings that were in my life. But I had this very bad habit of not addressing and not even having a conversation about things that hurt me. And I remember one time the boys were home and I used to, you know, make breakfast back when I used to cook, but w- when they were young and I would cook breakfast and then our my husband worked from home. And so I would cook breakfast and the boys would take turns of who was going to bring daddy his breakfast. I don't remember what happened. It was some some sort of inter- interaction that happened with Robert and I was mad at him. And so I'm cooking breakfast and my son says, well, where's daddy's breakfast? Because I didn't cook. And I said, daddy's not hungry. Yeah. And he looked at me really funny, my, my son. And it was this mirror to me seeing the reflection in his eyes because clearly I'm lying. Of course, you know, he's hungry and and I'm All just men are resentful. hungry first thing in the morning. I don't know what it is. They, they, my husband's like when he wakes up, he eats immediately. I'm like, I need to suck down coffee for an hour. Okay, right, <laughs> right. But I, I had to come face to face with this, yeah. um, this resentment that I had. It wasn't a big mm-hmm. deal. I mean, it was so small. I can't even remember what happened, but it really showed me how I was dealing with these offenses. And so I made the breakfast. I sent it up, and I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. I have some work to do because that. That's pretty ugly that I would not cook breakfast over a small offense. The thing that I think people need to realize with unforgiveness is it could be something very small. This happened to me. The wound was so deep over something that was small. And I ended up in therapy. And basically what she told me was this is like rungs on a ladder. You just reached the top and now you're falling over. That's why. Because that this unforgiveness, what was what I thought was a small slight, was years and years and years of undealt with resentments, pain, and anger. And so that's huge because sometimes we struggle to forgive because we've got a whole myriad of other things wrapped up in it. And so it's in working through all that stuff. You know, when we start to break it all down that we can begin to start to forgive because we understand, you know, I'm reacting to a myriad of things that that have all just built up and built up and built up. Yes, and we see this a lot with road rage, you know. (laughs) I can tell you about that. Oh my gosh. I mean, the person can't possibly be that upset with me for going the speed limit, but he seems to be that upset with me that he'll swerve around and cut me off. And there's so much frustration and so much that we're all carrying. It's hard to manage life. And right now, especially with, you know, we're in December 2020, this is just the height of the, you know, pandemic and a lot of things happening in the world. So this is a really unusual time for our world. We're in this collective trauma, multiple yeah. traumas at the same time. Meanwhile, we're all trying to live a good life and keep our families together and, you know, follow God and, and do the right thing. And it's it's a lot. It's a lot that we're all carrying. So this mm-hmm. practice of forgiveness is more important yeah. than ever right now that we establish a, a really connected spiritual practice of forgiveness because that's where we're going to get the freedom to be able to not carry around all that pain. And it's funny that you mentioned road rage because I used to have the worst road rage. I've gotten tickets. I remember getting a ticket and coming home and saying to my husband, I'm going to die out there. And this one day I was literally chopping carrots and I was like, God, why does this keep happening? And one word he spoke in in my mind and my spirit and he said boundaries. And through the process of overcoming codependency, I realized how in my own life I never dealt with conflict and I just let things go because right you don't talk about it so I had a lot of unresolved resentments and things that I was afraid to express I I was 
fearful of conflict. I couldn't express myself. And I was basically taught to deny my feelings. So if there was anger or or unforgiveness over something, I would just blame myself or just let it go. And so then it would all come out when I was on the road. And as I began to learn to deal with conflict, slowly the road rage started to go away. In psychology, they call it displacement. So that's all we're doing. We're displacing our anger. And so it's it's in putting it in its right spot. And I remember going to therapy over this too. Yes, I've been in therapy. Okay, it's okay. And I remember the therapist saying, can you forgive them? I'm like, can I, can I, can I forgive the, the, the tailgaters, right? Well, yes, of course, because it wasn't them that I needed to forgive. There was so much other stuff that I had to work through in order to get to the root of that problem because it really had nothing to do with road rage, right? It, I was just displacing all this other stuff. Absolutely. And I think that's such a great, I mean, you're talking about therapy. I mean, I, I have had quite a bit of therapy in my life and I'm so thankful for it because there's that sorting process where we yes. can pick apart. It's almost like sorting the laundry. It's like we've got to create piles so we can even name what's going on. Otherwise, we're just bleeding over everything and we don't know the source. And if you don't know the source, you can't heal from it. And then everybody just upsets you. And then then you're just on autopilot. I remember Mm -hmm. listening to this one. Oh gosh, it might've been Stephen Covey. Correct me if it's not Stephen Covey, but the line of, if you argue for your limitations, they're yours. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm fiery because I'm Italian. Like Italians, we are fiery people. And I didn't realize I was kind of unconsciously giving myself permission to default to being fiery, fired up. And She's a third degree black belt, by the way. Did we mention that? See? Okay. All right. <laughs> but I, I really had been kind of, I, and I thought, wow, that really is a limitation. I mean, I love being Italian and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can be a stereotype that, you know, we talk with our hands, which I'm doing at this very moment. But, you know, there is that part of taking responsibility to me was so key in my mental health and being able to heal from things that had really hurt me was taking responsibility for the quality of my life right now. Yeah. You know, because that blaming, like you had talked about, that's going to mm-hmm. get me nowhere except more upset. And then I can't yeah. live this life the way that I know God wants me to live. If I'm constantly triggered, if I'm constantly upset, it's just a series of upsetness. Uh, but I have to take responsibility for that. That was really step one was I got to look at this stuff and I needed a guide. For me, my um, counselors were my guides to help me even understand what I was even dealing with. And I think that's kind of what you and I, when we first met, recognized in each other is yeah. the years of the work. It's like, you know, going to straight to the deepest part of the ocean and swimming there. It's like you recognize mm-hmm. people who like to talk about those deep things um, and yeah. are still doing the work. Um, mm-hmm. It's so valuable. And I, I, I just think it's impossible to forgive unless we do the work. But we can't do the spiritual bypass of, oh, I like the concept of forgiveness, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to forgive. But really, all I'm doing is banking that pain inside yeah. and carrying it around. Well, in forgiveness, it, it there's a lot to work through, but it's also hard. It's not an easy thing. But we, you know, we always hear forgiveness. You're doing it for yourself and not the other person. That is, I think, for the most part, true. When we look at how God forgives us, we look at what Jesus did to bring us back into right relationship. 
He died for us. So it's not easy. And he never said it was going to be easy. It is going to be hard. So this willy-nilly forgive and forget, when God says he forgets our sins, he doesn't forget. I mean, he's God. It just means he, he sees us the way he saw us before the offense. Forgiveness Well, first of all, it's about grace and mercy, and it's about love. It's not about an eye for an eye, right? And that is just a super hard thing in our world, because our world basically says, right, you need to take revenge, you need to blah, 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 blah. But when we don't forgive, it destroys our life. It may may or may not destroy the other person's life, because the other person, they may not care. They could care. They may be a narcissist or you could be a victim of a crime. You know, the the one that the biggest one that comes to mind is there's a guy that wrote a book. uh, I forget his name. It's called The Tears of My Soul. And this was in uh, during the days of the the Khmer Rouge. And they murdered his whole family. And he was buried and he was 11 and he was buried underneath his entire family. And they thought he was dead. Right. This was during during Pol Pot, Cambodia, that whole thing. And he literally crawled out from underneath all of his family members. And if I, it's been a while since I read the book, but the whole thing, like the first part of his life was how was he going to get revenge? And then he realized it was just destroying him. I mean, it was destroying his life. And then he became a Christian, went back. Right. And this is a lot like what we hear about, like Corey Ten Boom and all all that. You know, he went back to Cambodia met one of his offenders, forgave them. It's not like he had some kind of relationship with them. But now he has a, a great life. You know, he's a speaker and all those sorts of things. If the guy's still alive, again, it's been a while since I read the book. But that is supernatural. Yes. That didn't happen. He would not have done that on his own. He probably would have died very miserable if it weren't for Christ coming in and showing him the power to forgive. I mean, look at look at what Jesus did. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do while they were murdering him. You know, he gives us the perfect example of how to forgive, right? But it, it takes the supernatural love. I think it takes the supernatural love of Christ because I don't, especially if you've been a victim uh, of something, I don't think it happens naturally. It's hard work. It's hard stuff, you know? It is hard. And if we hadn't have not dealt with our pain and we have not dealt with our anger, you know, God is a loving God, but he's also a very just God and he has wired yeah. us for justice. So when when people are rescuing sex trafficking victims, there is a righteous yeah. anger about the pain yes. that they are going through, and that is a godly anger. It's not uh, a sin. It's not wrong to be angry. I mm-hmm. didn't understand that, practically speaking. I did not understand how to deal with my anger in a safe, appropriate way. I did not realize the connection between the justice of God and the love of God, I just kind of felt yeah. like there was some kind of magical thing that I didn't know how to do to be able to com- become free. It's not like I was h- trying to hold on to my pain. It was almost like it held on to me. And I mm-hmm. did not know how to let it go because I wanted so much to forgive, but I had no power to do it. But again, yeah. being able to deal honestly with the pain, being able to deal honestly and express that just anger, that righteous anger, and then ultimately working through that to then, um, you know, be able to allow God to help us to forgive and that it is a process and it is a practice to me 
forgiveness is a spiritual practice. You know, God is very clear about us forgiving, but he does not leave us to do it on our own. It's he wants to help us to be able to do that, but we can't do it unless we're honest about it. And in big and small offenses, we we need mm-hmm. to practice so we can be free. To me, this is about living that yeah. abundant life, you know, being able to live a free life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, still and destroy, but I have yeah. come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so, you know, the enemy wants us to be hurt and then stay hurt and then hurt other people. Yeah. But, you know, Jesus is like, I came so you can have life to the full, which isn't pain-free, but it also includes being able to pray for our enemies. That was one of the things that really helped me. I'll just share this story. It It is probably the biggest story for me, uh, the hardest story for me about forgiveness. I had done quite a bit of work in my life um, dealing with childhood trauma and, and forgiving people, and I had really been on this journey of forgiveness for many, many years before my mom got brain cancer. It was very sudden. She was 66, super healthy, and then all of a sudden she's diagnosed um, with brain cancer, oh, and we lost her yeah. inside three That's months. so hard. It was very mm-hmm. tragic. It was very hard. This was back 2012 that she was mm-hmm. diagnosed. And so she did chemo. She did surgery, radiation. We were all praying for that miracle. I mean, anybody who has a family member or a loved one who has had cancer or any kind of terminal diagnosis, it is so gut-wrenching to be in that process because on one hand, you're praying for a miracle and some people do get healed. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, God, your will be done. Not that anybody would die. That's never part of his. But in this, you know, he told us in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Um, mm-hmm. But take heart for I've overcome I the world. Overcome the world. That's my favorite scripture. I know. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. It's so powerful. And it means more to me as a time goes on. But we're, we're fighting with her and we're praying. I've never prayed so, so vulnerably in my life. She had just finished all of her radiation treatments and she was very weakened by them. So I went to the hospital I had to get a nurse to help her use the bedside commode. And mm-hmm. so I left the room, ended up going in the other room, um, waiting for her to be done, giving her her privacy. And I got this really bad feeling when I was in mm. the, the little waiting area, just this urgent feeling. I absolutely believe it was the Lord, but I, I went to her door and opened the door and I found my mom unconscious on the floor of the hospital oh. because the nurse had left her. alone, which she was a high risk fall. So it it was, I'm telling you, it was one of those moments of, Mm -hmm. of tragedy where I just practically left my body. I mean, it was so shocking. And so I went to her side, she was knocked unconscious. And so I went screaming down the hall, you know, she's fallen, I've gotten it. So I, but I'm telling you this nurse that left her, I'm holding my mom on the ground and I, and she ended up having a 15 minute seizure in my my arms. And I, I turned around Jody and I saw the nurse and I'm holding my mom. It's her fault that this happened, this nurse's fault. Mm -hmm. And I am telling you the, the murderous rage that I felt I've never felt in my body before. This would have been a time that you would have wanted to use that black belt. Right. Well, I I wanted to kill her. And I'm 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 kidding, but I'm not right. Yeah. If my mom would have died that day, which she didn't die that day, Mm -hmm. but she ended up having complications because of that fall. But in that moment, in that moment, to feel that kind of rage to feel and Mm -hmm. and maybe a lot of people haven't felt that level, but maybe somebody has 
that level of rage and that hatred and that wanting to kill someone, it was like God gave me this view of uh-huh. this is why I came. This is why there are wars. This is why wars don't yeah. stop. Because, you know, me, if I had done that, if I had really killed that nurse, which I wanted to do, that mm-hmm. wouldn't have helped my mom. It would have discharged a lot that I had toward her, but I would have caused so much pain in that nurse's family. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. perpetuation of pain would have just been passed on. So I spent the next year, it took me a year. I knew enough about forgiveness that I knew I needed I needed to deal with this and I had to de- deal with yeah. some legal things. Am I going to sue? It, it, w- it was a very, very ugly situation. But that year that I spent work doing the work of forgiveness and doing as, you know, we're told in the Bible to love our enemies, bless those that curse us, like pray for mm-hmm. our enemies. I had to deal squarely with that. And I began to just out of pure, okay, God, I have to obey you. You told us how to be with people. And so I started praying for this nurse and mm-hmm. it took me a year. And I will tell you toward the end of that year, during my prayer time when I was praying for this nurse, the Holy Spirit just it like invaded my mind and gave me a perspective about this nurse mm-hmm. that she did not wake up that morning to hurt my mom. That nurse is a nurse probably she's probably a very caring person. She's probably she was a head nurse, so she had lots of specialized training and she had lots of responsibility. I know that she was very busy that day. There were a lot of people. And for me to be able to no, in my heart, she did not wake up to hurt my mom. She yeah. made a very bad choice that ended up hurting mm-hmm. my mom. But I was able to see that she did not intend. And I think that's what that mind that God gave me, that view of that nurse, that was totally supernatural. It was not my thoughts. It was like the Holy yeah. Spirit gave me that view of her. I think is that perspective that Jesus had on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. You know, the scripture that you talked about. Jesus was seeing something that human beings can't see naturally. And that's Mm -hmm. the view of what's happening in the spirit realm when we forgive and when we don't forgive, when we see people hurting us, that it's really coming from that wounded place. But in that prayer, I began to have this love for that nurse. And Mm -hmm. I started thinking, oh my gosh, what a burden she must be carrying, knowing that her negligence led to my mom falling and could have died. And I just, it was like God changed my heart. That's probably the biggest experience and biggest wound I've had to go through. And I would tell you, I sit here talking to you today and I have zero animosity toward that nurse. I have nothing but love for her. I do not feel any more about her the way that I did in that moment when I really wanted to kill her. And that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. Because one of the things that you had to do, and and I've had to do this too, is when I was deeply, deeply wounded, I had to to realize, okay, this is going to destroy me. It's going to destroy me if I don't do something about it. So it's initially having that insight to understand that, then to go, okay, now... I have to forgive this person. How do I do it? That's when you're on the right track. In forgiving, is see, you began to change how you thought about that person, and that's where it starts. So, Because they say, you know you've forgiven someone when you can finally wish them well. Initially, we start out and we say, 
I want to kill this person. And then it's like, there's sort of this indifference. Well, I don't really care if they live or die, right? <laughs> and that's that, you know, but as we keep going, like you said, we begin, you know, with God's help, we can begin to see a different story about them. I know this person didn't wake up and say, I'm going to hurt my, you know, I'm going to hurt my friend today. Like, that's not how it starts. So you start to understand their brokenness and their struggle. And that's what empathy is. And it's hard to forgive without empathy. So you began to use your God-given empathy, right? And it wasn't, you didn't condone it. You didn't excuse it. You didn't forget it. You didn't pardon it. There, There is, isn't even reconciliation. There could be. But it's not like, you're, you know, people think, oh, if I forgive, I, you know, it's going to allow this thing. Well, it's not going to allow anything because reconciliation that's a whole different issue it's not like you're best friends with her so this was this was a hard journey that you went on and it was intentional you chose to do it and it wasn't based on a warm and fuzzy feeling you began to change your thoughts about the person and that this is huge and then you began to pray for them you know i had a a woman that was um harassing me uh, in my job. This, this was years ago, and she was bullying me, and it went on for years. Eventually, she was let go and ended up in the hospital with a triple bypass surgery, and I began to understand why. And I began to, and you know, I kind of did what you did. I had read, and June Hunt talks about this a lot. If you if you change how you think about the person, eventually your heart will line up, and you will start to feel like forgiving. And I had to do the same thing with her. I eventually started praying for, and during that time, then these things in her life that didn't go so well. Then I actually began to feel sorry for her, not in a, you know, oh, I feel so sorry for her, but, but in a way that, that there was, there was empathy, there was understanding, you know, the, the reason this person did this was because she was hurting too. And so that really helped me to forgive. And now I, I wish her well, I hope everything goes great for her. And that's how I know that I've forgiven, just like you with the nurse, like you don't wish anything bad on her. And that right there, friends, is when you know you've forgiven. When that energy Mm -hmm. is dissolved. Yeah. I want to talk, too, about what forgiveness is not. It's not being a doormat. It's not not having any boundaries. You know, my brother died of alcoholism. I think you know, you know the whole story, uh, but he died in 2015 and it was it was tragic. But throughout the whole process, I was constantly having to forgive him. But I had boundaries. You know, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So with him in his life, it was like, I forgive you, but we can't hang out. Like we can't be together when you're drinking. Uh, And so there's times for forgiveness, right? And forgiveness, which is an individual choice. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're required to have a relationship with the other person, right? It is possible to forgive and not be reconciled or to forgive and be reconciled at a later time, if that makes sense. I mean, my brother was kind of a weird example because it wasn't like we were ever unreconciled, but it was saying, you know, and, and you get this all the time in addicted families. And so, well, if I forgive him, then, you know, I just have to let him come back and cheat on me. And, and, and people get it mixed up. It's like, no, 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 no. This is isn't about you being a doormat, right? I mean, there's people who, like we said, they may be uh, narcissistic, they may be perpetrators, all those sorts of things. So this isn't necessarily about reconciliation. So forgiveness and reconciliation are different things. So I want to make sure people understand that, that they understand the difference. You know, reconciliation 
is it's what God did for us, right? He continues to do that for us when we ask for forgiveness. So reconciliation should always be the goal, right? But you see, we, we even see that God has limits. There's stuff he doesn't put up with, right? We get forgiven when we ask for forgiveness, when we confess, right? And Romans talks about there's some people God gives over to their sin because they're not honest about it. They don't want to be reconciled to God. So forgiveness, reconciliation, two different things. Yes, absolutely. They are separate. And one one path, forgiveness, it's necessary for us to do. Reconciliation mm-hmm. might be one of the outcomes. But, yes. but the lack of boundaries, I would say, was one of the hardest things for me to work out because I had this misconception that forgiveness equaled you're reconciled. And that isn't right. But when we really look at behaviors, um, which I'm so sorry about your brother, I know we've had a lot of conversations about it. Just it's very heartbreaking for any family. And, you know, you and I've talked about, you know, that line, I don't remember who first wrote it, but that addiction i remember hearing it in counseling that addiction is just a mismanagement of pain yeah mm-hmm. and when we realize that our loved ones who are addicted or if we've struggled with addiction it's really what are we doing with our pain and not knowing how to manage it but when we're in a relationship with somebody who is in addiction and we're either codependent or we're confused of what boundaries look like it's actually to reconcile when somebody is doing destructive behaviors, whether it's to you or to themselves, is mm-hmm. actually very unloving because it's yes. allowing for this dysfunction and it's allowing for this mm-hmm. self-destruction to happen within the context of your approval. And so, yeah. it, you know, being able to have good boundaries with someone who it has poor boundaries is actually the greatest likelihood that they will get well. So with forgiveness and reconciliation, here here's the deal too. You can't reconcile someone with someone who's dishonest. And I'm sure we've all had the fake apology. You know, I, I remember I had this, I was deeply betrayed by someone and they reached out to do a quote reconciliation. And we sat down and, and they said, I'm sorry for anything I've done to hurt you. And I explained what was done and they, oh, well, I did blah, blah. And there was excuses for all of it. So I understood then I can forgive this person, but if I go forward in a relationship, they're just going to do it again because they haven't felt my pain. I don't see any empathy and they actually don't believe they've done anything wrong. It was more for public, for the public to see, look, I went to them and I said I was sorry and everything's good. Oftentimes, I think with reconciliation is people... They may not spot this, right? And they'll go forward again in a relationship with someone who basically gave them a fake apology. And then wondering why they're getting hurt again and again and again, because the person was never really sorry. So in order to be reconciled, the person has to actually believe that they've done something wrong. That's huge. Otherwise, you can't go forward in in a relationship. You can have good boundaries, especially if it's family. You know, there's where you just you kind of understand there's limits there. And we've all had that with family members where, you know, they keep saying they're sorry, but I know they're not really sorry. And then it's kind of like you said, it's on you to create good boundaries. Otherwise, you're just you're just going to keep destroying yourself because you can't change that person. And that's that taking responsibility piece. Mm hmm. Once there's a pattern, then we have to own what is our part of creating that. And it's very hard when you love somebody to set boundaries that feel like you're abandoning them. Or Mm -hmm. there's a lot of grief that comes along with boundaries. 
and being able to have boundaries. It There's mm-hmm. so oftentimes a lot of loss, a loss of a relationship, and most relationships are not all good or all bad. So it's a combination. So, you know, there might be a woman who is uh, is battered, and she knows yeah. her, when people say, well, why doesn't she just leave? And, and there can be, I don't think as much as it, there used to be, because I think there's more understanding around abusive relationships now, but certainly the old school thinking was, well, why, why does she keep going back? That's a really good question. It's an important question because the relationships are not all good and all bad. And only that woman mm-hmm. knows the good that she you know, experiences with that, you know, with her husband, um, with the promises that he makes. And it, sometimes it takes a while to undo those yeah. patterns and to be able to then say, I have to say goodbye to all the good things in this relationship so that I can deal squarely yeah. with what is unhealthy. And that's hard. That's the work. Mm-hmm. That's the work of any kind of boundary, whether it's actual battering or it's codependency or it's, you know, any kind of poor boundary where you're chronically being hurt. If you're in relationships where you're chronically the victim, there's something yeah. probably that you need to look at of why you're allowing this chronic hurt to come into your life. And that's not blaming the victim for the victimization. It's purely putting the responsibility of once you know this pattern, then what is your work that, what are you avoiding? Maybe, you know, what is the pain that you're avoiding of being able to make good decisions? And that's, that's really hard to come face to face with. It's really hard. I remember dealing squarely with that in my life in counseling early, early on. And some things are very black and white, you know, when you're a kid and you get hurt in in extreme situations, you truly are, people really are victimized by each other. There are true victims. But then it's, what am I setting up in my life? And if, and if mm-hmm. the common denominator is I'm always a victim in friendships and yes. relationships and all of that, I've got to take a look at that so that I can break that pattern Um, of what I'm helping to create in my own life. And this brings us to some of the reasons why we struggle to forgive, and there's so many of them. But one of those is that we're getting something through being the victim. We're getting something through the sad story. And I can say this as a recovering alcoholic and as a recovering codependent, that I was getting something from being the victim. And, and I was really taught unconsciously, it wasn't intentional, to not address my feelings, to, to stuff my feelings. And I, I got into this, so codependent people confuse love and self-pity. Well, they're not the same thing. So for me, because of my self-esteem challenges and not addressing any of my feelings, for me, it was like, well, you can't love me because I'm not good enough to love, but you can feel sorry for me. So here's my sad story. And if you always have a sad story, then I would look at the patterns in my relationships, either where I would break them or there would be betrayals. And all relationships are an unequal balance of power. And so in the past, right, we're always, who's got the power in the relationship? And we work to balance it out. But if you're a person who struggles with codependency, you find that you're giving away your power all the time. You're always giving it away. Oh, you do it. Oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, right. And then you have anger, resentment, unforgiveness, right? And that's continuing on and you're struggling to forgive. But at the same time, you know that forgiving means power. Forgiving is empowering. It's it's an oxymoron or whatever you want to call it, because sure, there's power in not forgiving, because I get to hold that over you, Lord. If I'm mad at you, you're going to feel bad and I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold that over you. But then there's also power in, look at what they did to me. 
look at what they did to me. I am a victim. And and I have people in my family who have spent their life that way as a victim. Oftentimes they were. They really, they really were. But there's so much work in empowering yourself and and moving beyond uh, being a victim. But it also means freedom. And some people don't want that because being being a victim you know we we get something uh within our self-worth sometimes through our sad story now it's definitely not that way for everybody but that's how it was for me and i can honestly say during the years when when my brother was really really sick with his addiction that was very defining for me i would be like when i would meet someone i would the first thing i would i would want them to know about my sad story like that was defining me and that's not healthy. We don't want that to define us, but we have to do the work of forgiveness and getting that self-worth back. The more you do the work of getting healthy and the more you do the work of creating, I would, I'll just say like a better life for yourself. Part of this whole show is about living a better life. And, and you can't be, you can't be spiritually healthy if you're not mentally and emotionally healthy. And so that's the goal is is to get there. And as we work towards that, and as we become better people, we find, at least I do, that forgiving becomes a lot easier when I'm a healthy person. That's really powerful what you're saying about your, um, you know, when you, you got something from telling your sad story. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that really goes back to what we were talking about with what do we do with our pain? What do we do with yeah. our anger? And not knowing how how to deal with those things. I think we all pro- could probably think about someone in our life, maybe who's elderly, who, you know, was jaded when they were in their younger years that's still holding on and still telling that story. And mm-hmm. we can see clearly in other people how that stuckness can take a whole life. It can yeah. block us from you know, moving on in healthy relationships, you know, dealing with with friendship betrayal. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. very, very hard for women who have been deeply hurt by other women to trust other women. And yet, and that really, I think, goes back to, can we trust ourselves to have good boundaries, to be able to spot somebody who maybe would betray us? You know, can we look honestly at someone's behavior and uh, can we grieve the loss of friendship? That's very hard to walk away from unhealthy friendships. Again, it goes back to it's not all black and white. Sometimes there are really, really good things in that friendship. But can we walk away because this is too deep? This was too much of a character issue and I cannot trust this person on this level. Mm-hmm. But then if we stay blocked and not being able to be open and build a new deeper friendship with someone else who comes along. Now we've just kind of banished ourselves to a very lonely life. And God Mm -hmm. has created us for a desire for relationship and community. He's wired us that way to know him and to love him and to know ourselves and love ourselves. And then also to know others and love others. And if we cannot process hurt and pain and anger, we will live a very disconnected life, which will be very sad. So this unforgiveness can actually impact your other relationships going forward in the future. So you've got to work through that, like you said, so you can spot it, but also so that this unforgiveness doesn't follow you through the rest of your life and destroy other relationships as well. And I think 
that gets to the one of the other difficult challenges that we feel like it's hard to forgive is, right, we think there needs to be reconciliation. Maybe we're getting something out of not forgiving. But also what we talked about before is not really understanding, you know, what it is. I remember one time when I was deeply, deeply wounded, I had to look back and realize, okay, it started when I was five years old. So the real pain was that when this person betrayed me, it was a daddy wound and it went all the way back to feeling invisible. And so I had to understand all the all the rungs on the ladder that had led up to for the other person was probably just a slight in their mind. For me, my world came crashing down and I couldn't figure out like, this shouldn't be a big deal, but I, I wanted to die. I mean, I wanted to die and I had to go get help for that. And it was then that I realized I'm attaching a lot of stuff to this one thing. There's a lot of stuff that's being attached to this one betrayal. And so it was in sorting that out and understanding this this goes all the way back to feeling invisible as a child, to not having my feelings validated so that when this betrayal happened, what they were saying, they were triggering. So a lot of unforgiveness can be triggered to child. Like it was triggering a wound from way back when of where they were telling me I was invisible and that I didn't matter. And it's very doubtful that that person woke up and said, she's invisible, she doesn't matter. So we have to look at, uh, again, all the, the things in the past that we may be attaching that unforgiveness to. And then sorting all of that out. And that way, when we move forward and something hurts, we can we can process it and go, okay, I'm being triggered. This is happening because of something that happened a long time ago. And that's what I think the what living in reality is. And the reality is I'm not five, I'm not 10, I'm not 12, I'm not 20, or what, whatever the case may be. This situation, it hurts like back then, but it's actually not back then. This is the present. And I can act and react differently now. It's not the same time. And so understanding and giving ourselves that power back can be huge when it comes to forgiveness. Is understanding, I didn't have a choice back then, but now I have a choice and I can make different choices. But yes. you have to understand what all those triggers were and get back into working through all that stuff. So it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And I think it takes a lot of uh, tenderness toward yourself and um, catching yourself when you're stepping into shame about it. Like, oh my gosh, what is this? We can even have the awareness of, oh, this kind of feels like when I was five. And then and instead of, you know, some people might go, well, that's ridiculous that's ridiculous. You're not five, grow up, let it go. And then again, that whole bypassing the process or feeling ashamed that I'm still feeling this way. Gosh, you know, why am I still feeling this way? And, and just wanting to be done with it, just banish it from your being. And that's, of course, that's impossible. But, um, I think to have a tenderness toward yourself and a curiosity, wow, this is really interesting. You know, instead of going into shame, going into, Boy, I really overreacted. I wonder what that is about. And going yes. into investigative mode. Wow, mm-hmm. I this obviously triggered me. So I need to take a step back and I need to trace this. Where does this go? That's why for me, the first step to all of the work that, I mean, this all began with my journal 
that I began that I call it the this film has not yet been rated journal. It was <laughs> the mother of all journals. And I began to write and not censor myself. And it was just for me. And I allowed myself permission to really just dump everything out. And this was really mm-hmm. ground zero for me to even take a look at like, what am I dealing with? You know, but I yeah. was really I was dealing with major depression, massive anxiety. I didn't know as undiagnosed PTSD. Like I had no mm-hmm. idea like how messed up I the state that I was really in I, because I was so disconnected from myself. So for me, mm-hmm. reconnecting was yeah. through writing and through being able to have that journal. That was really the first step for me to uncensor, dump it out. Don't judge myself. Don't censor as I'm writing. Just write it as it is, yeah. kind of a free write. And that was step one, was being able to, as Scott Peck, you know, referring back to The Road Less Traveled, it's like you have to name the crimes and not yes. judge and not censor, but be kind of uh, become an investigator in your own life. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. that was really step one for me. And then, of course, for me in counseling, I had to process things, you know, for me dealing with trauma, um, EMDR was very, very helpful for me. But we have to be able to tell our own stories to be able to work through the story, to be able to tell a different one. Otherwise, we're just going to be repeating the same relationships, the same patterns that we say we're sick and tired of, but we have no power to be able to make it different. My favorite quote, really, it's become my favorite quote, and I don't even think it's a full quote because it was one of those quotes I read in a book where they did dot, dot, dot. But Dr. Henry Cloud said, reality is the best place to be. Everything else is just fantasy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's good. And I know that's kind of like, yeah, whatever. But it it means so much to me because like everything you were just saying, so forgive doesn't mean forget. They say forgive and forget because the forgetting part is when we've finally done the forgiving and there could be reconciliation. But you can't forgive what you don't acknowledge. The whole point of forgiving is that there was an offense. There was pain. Something happened. So you, you have to acknowledge what actually happened before you can move through forgiving. When people say willy-nilly forgive, I, I feel like that's that's not okay. That's like, here's an example. Remember, I just graduated with a master's degree. And part of me wanted to just, because of all the COVID, just go, just forget it. Just send me the thing. It, you know, it just, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, for the first time in my life, I had to say, you know what? It does matter. It does matter. Celebrate it. Make a big deal out of it, at least for one day. And I I feel like that's with forgiveness. It does matter. You were hurt. This this isn't about not acknowledging your part. There's parts of that, too. That's kind of that could be a whole nother show. But you do need to acknowledge it. But for the most part, what was done to you, you didn't deserve. It was very painful. And it matters. And the act of forgiving matters because it's hard. It's a huge step for you to take. And it means a lot. You can't forgive something that you're not even willing to acknowledge, because now we're just talking about denial, right? And I mean, that's a whole nother issue. That's right. That's right. And being able to take that step back and look at the context that we're living in. There is this spiritual realm that, you know, the Apostle Paul tells us to, you know, put our focus on the unseen things rather than the seen things because the unseen things are eternal. And there is a battle for our life 
And if we don't realize where we are in that story, if we don't even realize that we are even in that battle, we don't Mm -hmm. understand the forces that are working for us and against us. And that really goes back to that original scripture that I quoted, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. So there's two parts. You know, the day we were born, two agendas Mm -hmm. went out for our life, one to kill us, and steal and destroy us and when to give us life and have it to the full. So yeah. when we're hurt, the enemy wants us to hold on to that hurt, ruminate on that hurt, want to get yeah. revenge because that's going to steal our life. It's going to kill all of our relationships. It will destroy us and it will destroy everyone around us. So he he wants that original pain and then he wants that pain to continue and reverberate throughout our entire lives. But God doesn't want that for us, and God has a way for us to work through the pain, work through the anger. Yeah. He doesn't want us to do it by ourselves. He's given us the power. You know, He acknowledges our pain in Scripture over and over and over. That He keeps us mm-hmm. our tears in a bottle. You know, mourn with those yeah. who mourn. I mean, He loves us so much, and He knows when we get hurt, and only He has the power to help us to transcend it. But we have to want that, and we have to take responsibility and say, "Do I want to become well? Do I want?" to move through this, not deny it, not shove it down, not ignore, not become invisible, but do I want to move through this? And that's a very mm-hmm. important question to ask ourselves. Do we want to move through do we want to move through this? Do we want to get over this? Not do we have all right. the answers now, but are we willing? Are we willing to do the work? And right now is a time of like so much pain in our world that unless yeah. we do this work on purpose, unless we carve out time on purpose to do this work, it's not going to get done. It's certainly not going to get done on our dri- our 10-minute drive to the store. You know, we mm-hmm. have to set aside time to be able to do this work and do it on purpose. And that's how we become whole and healed and free from what the enemy wants to use to destroy us. It has to be done on purpose and it has to become the work. And that's where that exchange happens from going from being a victim to overcoming that and becoming victorious through it. And it's done through our will, but it's done through the supernatural power of God that He gives to us when we pray, when we read Scripture, when we wrestle through it. He is so present with us and wants us to come through that with Him that Mm -hmm. once we come through those situations, we're like, how could I have stayed stuck so long? I sometimes look back on my life and I was in my mid-30s before I came to this work. And I'm like, man, on one hand, I feel like I wasted decades. And on the other hand, I, I'm so grateful that I that God showed me this path. And I think living in that bondage for so long is what really sets me on fire now to share His hope and to share what I've experienced, what I know to be true, not just for me, but for everyone and what is available for everyone. Because I know what it's like to want to live a good life, yeah. but be powerless to live it. And forgiveness is love. Like I said, love is the, the strongest force in the universe. We're told that love doesn't keep a record of wrong, right? And one of the things that you, know, you were talking about, the enemy wants to keep us in bondage because in his world, what rules is hate. And what unforgiveness is, let's just call it what it is, it's hate. 
if I don't forgive you, I hate you. I hate you. I don't want what's best for you. And we all know that hate destroys our life. And so what forgiveness does is it it frees us from hate and it allows us to love. And if we can't love the song, I got another song. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And we have to have love. And love is hard. Love, Jesus died so that we would have love. So it's not, oh, just love. This is hard. This forgiveness stuff. This is hard. It takes a lot of strength. But what's the number one commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Without forgiveness, there can be no love. And, and, and what is it that sets us free? The truth. And the truth is love. And so this is so important to forgive. We, we have to be able to do this if we want to be free and if we want to live as Christ lives. It's a commandment that we forgive, but what we want you to understand is what we've been talking about is that, you know, you set the prisoner free and and then realize that you were the prisoner all along or however that quote goes, you know, uh, that it that really is setting you free and there really is um, a lot of work involved in that process of forgiveness that it's not you know, it's not willy nilly. It's tough. It's tough work. And and telling ourselves, you know, this this might take a while. This, exactly. This might take a while, and and establish those expectations. And it's it's really hard when you feel maxed out in your life to say, I got to do extra work. That sounds that sounds terrible. I I want I want to do extra work. I'm going to step toward my pain. I don't want to do that. I want to go, you know, distract myself. You know, one of the things I learned in counseling is to be able to deal with with her and pain is, you know, being able to imagine putting it into a box and putting it up on a shelf. And then you take, you take the box down at very specific times, you know, not usually when you're having a conflict with, with your spouse or, you know, with your kids, that's probably not the time to take the box out the box of pain, but, you know, being able to carve out time to take a look at it and to be able to be honest about it, process it and, and then be able to put that back out. So for me, I had to really learn to kind of set space create time and space to be able to process those things. And I, I really think it begins with a prayer to God, like, God, I I want to deal with all this pain that I have. I seem to yeah. be upset all the time, and I don't want to mm-hmm. be, and, I, and will you please help me? And He yeah. wants to help us, and He just, He will not invade our lives, but, he, but upon request, He's there being able to set our our mind on him and ask him to help us and then be willing to do the work and for me i needed that support i needed a counselor um i needed to be able to to go to my trusted friends to be able to say hey i'm working on this can you pray with me can yeah. you pray for me um and if somebody doesn't have those close friends yet because they're they just don't ha- haven't established or found those people or worked through that you know pray for friends i remember spending many yeah. many years without having good close friends because i had dealt with a a very big friendship uh betrayal that just wounded me and i didn't know it at the time but i'd kind of closed my heart I'm like, you know, I'm done with I'm done with female friends. And yeah, <laughs> I I really did. I shut that door and I just thought, you know, I'm just going to They're all the same. It's just like men. I I'm not dating anymore. I'm done with men. They're only after blah blah blah, right? I know we get that way. We get that. because two people did that, they're all that way. Mhm. I know. And, this and that's very subconscious bitterness. I I didn't yeah. even mm-hmm. consciously do this. This was this was my response to the pain. Of course, I yeah. dealt I just buried it in in me. And, and I just really thought, you know, I'm just going to be married, have my kids and my family and I'll be fine. And then, you know, having, having the boys Mm -hmm. and then you just, 
you know, God has wired us to have close friends, like especially as women do. And I think men also need that too, but women, like we need those trusted friends. And I remember my husband saying, you know, why don't you pray and ask God to bring you those friends? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what a silly prayer. This is how I responded to my husband prompting me to do such a good thing. I'm like, that sounded ridiculous to me. Like God's busy with world hunger and all the big things. I'm going to pray for friends. It just, I didn't have that intimacy with God on that level um, yet. But, you know, I began to pray. And then, you know, there came um, a couple of friends that I honestly, I don't, if I would have missed these friendships, it would have been the saddest thing ever, but I had to really open my heart. And so praying and asking God to provide those relationships, to provide those people to help mm-hmm. walk alongside of us, and we get to walk along them. And not every woman is going to betray you. Not every man is going to betray you. Um, and I found that the more I worked through things, the more yeah. I could trust myself to spot some things and not go into denial about people. Yes. But you you can't yeah, you can't heal outside of community. You have to understand what's triggering you. What are the type of people I'm attracting? Why am I attracting them? How do I stay away from them? You can't you're never going to learn that in a box. You got to get out and learn it. Right. You know. And and nobody's going to be perfect. If you're, you know, haven't had friendships for a while and the next, you know, friend comes along, you we ju- we cannot pin our hope on a person being perfect because mm-hmm. we are going to hurt each other unknowingly uh, oftentimes or knowingly or maybe having different expectations so it's working that out but wanting to have that intimacy, wanting to have that wholeness and that uh, messy but genuine relationship and connection that just fuels us in life. It helps us to accomplish what God wants us to do here. We have to keep moving forward. And what you had was what's called a corrective experience. And I had this with a, a female friend that did a certain thing for a living. Oh, I'm going to stay away from people that do that for a living. And then I had a, a church. Oh, well, I, I'm not going to go to church anymore. You know, all these things. And I remember the therapist saying to me, you need to have a corrective experience. And I ended up meeting a pastor who, that I ended up just, it wasn't anything deep. It was just kind of, he was a good man. It, it helped release that, oh, they're all not that way. And, and so when, when you're wounded, see, this is what the enemy wants you to do. Okay, so let's take a church. You're wounded by a church, so you're not going to go back to church. Or I met a girl who, because a Christian did this to me, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. This Satan loves this. This is his playground. And so you have to understand that what you actually need is a fix. Okay? And obviously God can fix that, but he likes to do that through community. And so we keep moving forward. And if you say, God, bring me someone who can, and I don't want to say it's going to make it go away, but but you understand what I mean by a corrective experience. You found some female friends that didn't all hurt you, right? Or if you're if you're a young woman, <laughs> you know, with, within the boyfriend circle, you know, a good example. I heard a therapist talking about this. You know, the, he, she comes in all all men are bad, you know, and she's like, why? Well, you know, this happened, and they said, well, how many times did that happen? Three times. okay so three out of how many so they're all bad right so you really have to look at it that way and that's helped me a lot 
So I think what you're saying is very, very, very important to go out and look for uh, a corrective experience. But I want to give a shout out to some people. You're one of them, Lori. I want people to connect with you first, too. It's LoriLara.com, L-O-R-I-L-A-R-A.com. And Lori is an amazing uh, speaker. She's an amazing writer and also has the Strong Girl Self-Defense Program that she's created. And it's absolutely awesome. So totally want you to check her out. I also want to give a shout out to Bridget. Bridget says, you are amazing. Thank you, Bridget. She says that, um, for those of you that don't know, I was um, on the radio on The Fish in Sacramento for like 17 years. We recently moved to Reno. But I was on with Charlie. She said, you and Charlie helped me when my son took his life. Oh, my goodness. She says, I, I believe that that God brought me to the fish and to my church. So God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Bridget. And uh, Rochelle says, I miss listening to you on the fish. Looking forward to checking out the podcast. So thank you for reaching out. I would love to um, give a shout out to you on the show to, to recognize you. It would be awesome if you could leave a review on your listening app, uh, whether it's Apple iTunes or one of the other ones. Also, I want your feedback too. You, maybe you have an amazing story of what God has done and how God has freed you from something or how he's just really changed your life. So feel free to reach out and email me. It is connectwithjodystevens at yahoo.com. And it's J-O-D-I-E and Stevens with a V. So I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get your feedback too, what you like, what you don't like, or what you'd like to hear more on the program. That would be awesome because uh, this show is for you. It is to help you to grow emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all those sorts of things. It's really just about sharing our struggles so that we can live a victorious life together. Obviously, today, one of those things is dealing with our pain and dealing with unforgiveness. And one of the things they say, Lori and Alcoholics Anonymous, is that resentment is the number one killer. And when I went through some deep wounding, it was just kind of five years of crazy. Three things were under attack. My faith, my sobriety, and my marriage. I think we can see the damage of unforgiveness. We can also see the work of the enemy when these things that are keeping us up, that are keeping us standing up straight, faith, sobriety, marriage, when those things are under attack, we know it's time to take action because and it, there's even a scripture that talks about how bitterness literally rots the bones. If you're in a recovery program, you know that the danger is death. It can literally lead to that. Or you can just have a, a life full of resentment and bitterness. And like you said, of building up walls. And we do not want you to be building up walls. We want you to be victorious. And we want you to be full of the love of Christ. And that's why working through this is so important. But I want to wrap it up as I do every week with a quick tip. When you forgive, you are showing mercy and grace, right? In in his mercy, in God's mercy, God. So mercy and grace is this, and that God does not he does not punish us for what we deserve, right? Namely, namely hell, right? But while in his grace, God gives us the gift that we do not deserve. So in the same way with forgiveness, we don't give our offender the punishment that they deserve, right? So that's mercy. And we give them the gift of forgiveness. 
and that is grace. And we see like in Luke uh, 6, 31 through 33, he says, he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? He says, even sinners love those who love you. And if you do only good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you, right? Even sinners do that. So it's easy for us to love whoever loves us. That's when I really see my humanness is how easy it is for me to just love people that love me. Oh, and if they do bad to me, oh, well, I'll just give that right back to you, right? But that's not how it works. Thank you so much for listening. Lori, thank you so much for being here as well. I know you wanted to say a prayer for us, and that would be awesome. Absolutely. And thank you, Jody, for having me. I always love talking to you. Dear God, I just thank you so much that we can talk to you uh, even right now. And I just pray for anyone listening to this conversation who might be wrestling through some old pain, or maybe it's fresh pain. Maybe it's something that just happened. God, we know that you watch over us. You see us. You love us so much. And you're present with us even when we aren't even aware of your presence. And I just thank you that you care so much about us individually and no pain is too small. uh, No pain is too great for us to be able to work through. I thank you that you did not leave us alone on this earth to just figure everything out on our own. Yes. You've given us a will to be able to choose how we're going to respond and that we can choose to do things your way or we can choose to do things in our flesh. And, And God, I just help that I just ask you to help anyone who is dealing with um, woundedness, um, whether it be in their marriage or be in their family of origin, maybe a coworker, maybe even with their own children, uh, a neighbor, anybody that they're dealing with, God, old pain, new pain, um, something that happened um, that they just don't know how to overcome. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just surround um, this person and that your grace and your love and just your presence alone would be mm-hmm. a comfort and uh, that there that your hope that the hope of you and the hope of healing would guide um maneuvering through and navigating through the hard emotions whether it be pain or anger or just flat out feeling stuck and frustrated and anxious and depressed about what life would look like uh, just carrying this pain it's so expensive to just hold on to it it just weighs us down and so I just pray for your freedom I pray for your love to just invade our hearts and that we would be able to be honest about what we've been hurt over we'd be honest about the anger that we would trust you to manage what outcome and consequence needs to happen with other people and if we need to be part of that god in whatever way that we Mm -hmm. need to be part of that we would cooperate but that we would ultimately trust you to uh, take whatever vengeance or repercussions or consequences with this other person i pray that you would give us the ability to release people healthfully that you would Mm -hmm. allow us to have the freedom to not carry old baggage that you would give us just a just a breath of hope in this moment that you are working on our behalf that this isn't just up to us that we would learn to rely on your spirit Mm -hmm. to help us to forgive to help us to be able to release these injuries so that we can be free to be filled with even more of your love and so i just thank you god so much for your presence for your love how much you love us and how much you love even the people who have hurt us i pray for healing in families i pray for healing in individuals who maybe um 
have been hurt by people who have who are long gone who aren't even alive anymore. I pray just pray for generational healing, for wounds that happen to people who hurt us that have, have been dead and gone for a long time. I just pray that mm-hmm. you would give us your freedom and that we would be able to affect people around us in your love and in your truth and in healthy, good boundaries, uh, that boundaries come from you. They are not wounding. Yes. And help us to have a healthy view of our relationships and to be part of relationships that are good and whole and healthy for us and for those around us. Nothing is too big for you, Lord. Yes, thank you. And and for those that are listening that are hurting and, and struggling with unforgiveness, God, show them that path to forgiveness. Show them the beginning that, you know, they ask they ask you for that help, Lord, and that you would bring them those steps that we can't feel what we don't, you know, we can't correct what we don't acknowledge. So help us, Lord, to grieve the pain and then go through the process. And then also, Lord, please put people in their lives, the, the, the corrective experiences, those that are there to do, them, to do them good, right? And so I just pray for those corrective experiences, God, for, uh, for anyone listening. And, and also for your, your power to help them to see when they're feeling hurt, when they're feeling triggered, to begin to understand uh, this is w- what's happening to me, this is why, and then for the courage to stand up for themselves. I love the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change. I can't change the fact that this has hurt. The courage to change what I can. I can acknowledge the pain, and I can do something about it. And then when when's the wisdom to know the difference? And the difference may be reconciliation. The difference may be that there's not reconciliation. So we just pray these things. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You see why she's Lori's my prayer warrior friend, you guys? <laughs> this is great, Jenny. I want to hear from you as well. Again, I'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast. It comes out the first of every week, either Monday or Tuesday. Um, I post it Sunday night, but it can take a day or two, as they say, to uh, drop. I guess drop's the cool word. Like, So it's going to drop. So that's the technical word. So uh, thank you so much for listening, you guys.